0: book 1 chapter 5 of robert falconer by george macdonald this librevox recording is in the public domain robert falconer by george macdonald chapter 5 this symposium robert had scarcely turned out of the square on his way to find Shargar when a horseman entered it his horse and he were both apparently black on one side and gray on the other from the snowdrift settling to windward. The animal looked tired, but the rider sat as easy as if he were riding to cover. The reins hung loose, and the horse went in a straight line for the boar's head, stopping under the archway only when his master drew bridle at the door of the inn. At that moment Miss Letty was standing at the back of Miss Napier's chair, leaning her arms upon it as she talked to her. This was her way of resting as often as occasion arose from a chat with her elder sister. Miss Letty's hair was gathered in a great knot at the top of her head, and little ringlets hung like tendrils down the sides of her face, the benevolence of which was less immediately striking than that of her sister's, because of the constant play of humor upon it, especially about the mouth. If a spirit of satire could be supposed converted into something Christian by an infusion of the tenderest loving-kindness and humanity, remaining still recognizable notwithstanding that all its bitterness was gone. Such was the expression of Miss Letty's mouth. It was always half-puckered, as if in resistance to a comic smile, which showed itself at the window of the keen grey eyes, however the mouth might be able to keep it within doors. She was neatly dressed in black silk with a lace collar, her hands were small and white the moment the traveller stopped at the door miss napier started letty she said what's that i could almost swear to black geordie's fit ah four of them i think returned miss letty as the horse notwithstanding or perhaps in consequence of his fatigue began to paw and move about on the stones impatiently the rider had not yet spoken He'll be after some of his devil make care skull but just run to the door, Letty, or Lizzie'll be there afore ye, and maybe she would not be or civil. What can he be after now? What would the greyhound be after but hare? Returned Miss Letty. Hoot nonsense! He kens naething aboot her. Go on to the door, lassie. Miss Letty obeyed. What's there? She asked, somewhat sharply as she opened it that neither knocks nor calls, preserve us all, is it you, my lord? Who can you me, Miss Letty, without seeing my face? A body at the boar's head kens Black Geordie as well as your lordship's in own. But where comes your lordship from in such a nick as this? From Russia, never dismounted between Moscow and Aberdeen, the ice is bearing tonight. And the baron laughed inside the upturned collar of his cloak, for he knew that strangely exaggerated stories were current about his feats in the saddle. "'That's a long ride, my lord, and a slittery. "'And what's your lordship's will? "'Muckle ye care aboot my lordship to stand John there in a night like this. "'Is nobody going to take my horse? "'I beg your lordship's pardon. "'Come, "'Your lordship never said ye wanted your lordship's horse taken.' I thought ye might be gone on to the Bothy. Take Black Geordie here, Cammal. Come into the parlour, my lord. How do ye do, Miss Napier?' said Lord Rothy as he entered the room. Here's this jade of a sister of yours asking me why I don't go home to the Bothy when I choose to stop and water here. What'll ye take, my lord? Let ye fess the brandy. Oh, curse your brandy! Bring me a gill of good Glendronach. Rin, Letty, his lordship's called. I could not rise to offer ye the armchair, my lord. I can get one for myself, thank heaven. Long may your lordship return such thanks. From only new begun, ye think, Miss Napier. Well, I don't often trouble heaven with my affairs. By Jove, I ought to be heard when I do. doot ye will, my lord, when ye seek anything that's fit to be given ye. True. Heavens gifts are seldom much worth the asking. haut your tongue, my lord, and do not bring down a judgment upon my house, for it would be missed out of the Rothieden. You're right there, Miss Napier, and here comes the whisky to stop my mouth. The Baron of Rothie sat for a few minutes with his feet on the fender before Miss Letty's blazing fire without speaking. While he sipped the whisky neat from a wine-glass, he was a man about the middle height, rather full-figured, muscular and active, with a small head, and an eye whose brightness had not yet been dimmed by the sensuality which might be read in the condition rather than frame of his countenance. But while he spoke so pleasantly to the Miss Napiers, and his forehead spread broad and smooth over the twinkle of his hazel eye, there was a sharp curve on each side of his upper lip, half-way between the corner and the middle, which reminded one of the same curves in the lip of his ancestral boar's head, where it was lifted up by the protruding tusks. These curves disappeared, of course, when he smiled, and his smile, being a lord's, was generally pronounced irresistible. He was good-natured, and no wise inclined to stand upon his rank, so long as he had his own way. "'Any customers by the mail to-night, Miss Napier?' he asked in a careless tone. "'Nabody particular, my lord.' I thought ye never let anybody in that wasn't particularly particular. No foot passengers, eh? Hoot, my lord! That's two year ago. Given I had jaloosed him to be a friend of your lordship's, for by being a lord himself, he ken as well as I do that I would not have sent him o'er the gate to lucky habits, where he would not have even be our sir of getting clean sheets. But given lords and lords' sons will walk a fit like other folk. What's to ken them from other folk? Well, Miss Napier, he was no lord at all. He was nothing but a factor body, doing from Glenbucket. There was small harm done then, my lord. I'm glad to hear it. But what'll your lordship have to your supper? I would like a dish of your sweetbreads and kidneys. No, think of that, returned the landlady, laughing. Ye great folk would have the very course of nature turned upside down to shoot yourselves. What ever heard of cows at this time of the year? We'll anything ye like. Who was it came by the mail, did ye say? I said naebody particular, my lord. Well, I'll just go and have a look at Black Geordie. Very weel, my lord. Let ye run and look after him. And as sure as he's run the nook, tell us not to say a word about the laddie. And sure as death he's after her. Where could he have heard tell of her? Lord Rothie came a moment after sauntering into the bar parlour, where Lizzie, the third Miss Napier, a red haired, round eyed, white toothed woman of forty, was making entries in a book. She's a bonny lassie, that, that came in the coach to night, they say, Miss Lizzie. As ugly as sin, my lord, answered Lizzie. I have seen some sin at was no soggly, Miss Lizzie. She would have clean disgusted you, my lord. It's a mercy you did not see her. If she be as ugly as all that, I would just like to see her. Miss Lizzie saw she had gone too far. Ow, oh, deed. and your lordship wants to see her, he may see her at her will. I was gone and tell her. And she rose as if to go. No, no, nothing of the sort, Miss Lizzie. Only I heard that she was bonny, and I wanted to see her. You know I like to look at a pretty girl.' that's our will can't my lord well there's no harm in that miss lizzie there's no harm in that my lord though your lordship says it the facts were that his lordship had been to the country town some forty miles off and black geordie had been sent to hill to meet him for in any weather that would let him sit he preferred horseback to every other mode of travelling though he seldom would be followed by a groom he had posted to hill and had dined with a friend at the inn the coach stopping to change horses he had caught a glimpse of a pretty face as he thought from its window and had hoped to overtake the coach before it reached rothieden but stopping to drink another bottle he had failed and it was on the merest chance of seeing that pretty face that he stopped at the boar's head in all probability had the marquis seen the lady he would not have thought her at all such a beauty as she appeared in the eyes of double sanny nor i venture to think had he thought as the shoemaker did would he yet have dared to address her in other than the words of such respect as he could still feel in the presence of that which was more noble than himself whether or not his visit to the stable he found anything amiss with black geordie i cannot tell but he now begged miss lizzie to have a bedroom prepared for him it happened to be the evening of friday one devoted by some of the town people to a club To this, knowing that the talk will throw a glimmer on several matters, I will now introduce my reader as a spectator through the reversed telescope of my history. A few of the more influential of the inhabitants had grown, rather than formed themselves, into a kind of club which met weekly at the boar's head. Although they had no exclusive right to the room in which they sat, they generally managed to retain exclusive possession of it. For any supposed objectionable person entered, they always got rid of him, sometimes without his being aware of how they had contrived to make him so uncomfortable. They began to gather about seven o'clock, when it was expected that boiling water would be in readiness for the compound generally called toddy, sometimes punch. As soon as six were assembled, one was always voted into the chair. On the present occasion, Mr. Innes, the schoolmaster, was unanimously elected to that honour. He was a hard-featured, sententious, snuffy individual, of some learning and great respectability. I omit the political talk with which their intercommunications began, for however interesting at the time is the scaffolding by which existing institutions arise, the poles and beams, when gathered again in the builder's yard, are scarcely a subject for the artist. The first to lead the way towards matters of nearer personality was William MacGregor, the linen manufacturer a man who possessed a score of hand-blooms or so, half of which, from the advance of cotton and the decline of linenware, now stood idle, but who had already a sufficient deposit in the hands of Mr. Thompson, the banker, agent, that is, for the county bank, to secure him against any necessity for taking the cotton shirts himself, which were an abomination and offence unpardonable in his eyes. "'Can ye tell me, Mr. Cocker,' he said, what makes sandy lord rothy, or Rathy, or what should he be called, take to the bothy at a time like this, when there is neither hunting, nor fishing, nor shooting, nor anything the kind about of boot hand to be playaxe, till him the bonny baron accepted otters and such like. William was a shrunken old man, with white whiskers and a black wig, a keen black eye, always in search of the ludicrous in other people, and a mouth ever on the move, as if... "'masticating something comical. "'You know just as well as I do,' answered Mr. Cocker, "'the Marquis of Boar's Head's factor for the surrounding estate. "'He never was in the way of giving a reason for anything, "'least of all for his own movements. "'Somebody was saying to me,' resumed MacGregor, "'who in all probability invented the story at the moment, "'that the prince took him kissing on of his servant-lasses "'and kicked him out of Carlton House into the street, and he cannot whine o'er the disgrace of it. Deed for the kissin', said Mister Thompson, a portly, comfortable man. That's neither here nor there, though it might have been a duchess or twa. But for the kickin', my word! But Lord Sandy was more likely to kick with the Prince. Be mind who he did when the Marquis taxed him with. Halt a quiet, soft. Interposed Mister Cruikshank, the solicitor. There's a drop in the house. This was a phrase well understood by the company, indicating the presence of someone unknown or unfit to be trusted. As he spoke, he looked toward the further end of the room, which lay in obscurity, for it was a large room, lighted only by the four candles on the table at which the company sat. War, Mr. Crookshank, asked the dominie in a whisper. There, answered Sampson Petty, the bookseller, who seized the opportunity of saying something and pointed furtively where the solicitor had only looked a dim figure was decried at a table in the farthest corner of the room and they proceeded to carry out the plan they generally adopted to get rid of a stranger He made use of a curious old scots phrase this moment mr kershank can you explain who it comes to bear the meaning that it will kent to bear said the manufacturer not I, Mr. MacGregor," answered the solicitor. I'm no philologist or antiquarian. Ask the chairman. Gentlemen, responded Mr. Innes, taking a huge pinch of snuff after the word, and then passing the box to Mr. Cocker, a sip from his glass before he went on. The phrase gentlemen, a drop in the house, no doubt refers to an undesirable presence, for you're well aware that it's most un... Pleasing discovery, in winter especially, to find a drop of water hanging from your ceiling. Ah, something, in short, where it has no business to be, and is not accordingly looked for or prepared against. It seems to me, Mr. Innes, said MacGregor, that ye have hit the nail, but no upon the head. What make ye of the phrase, no confined to the Scots tongue, I believe, of an eavesdropper? The wilk, no doubt represents a body that things about your winnick, like a drop hanging o'er a bonnet from the eaves, therefore called an eavesdropper. But the sort of wilk we no speak, are a war sort altogether, for they come to the inside of your hoose, or your very chummer, or hang out at their long ears to hear where there cannot be hard save by a douce friend or two, or a hit tumbler. At the same moment the door opened, and a man entered, who was received with unusual welcome. "'Bless my soul,' said the President, rising. "'It's Mr. Lammy. Come away, Mr. Lammy. Sit doon, sit down. "'Where have ye been this money a day, like a pelican in the wilderness?' "'Mr. Lammy was a large, mild man, with florid cheeks, no whiskers, and a prominent black eye. "'He was characterized by a certain simple alacrity, a gentle but out-speaking readiness, which made him a favorite.' i did not rightly make out where ye are he answered ye have uncle little light here who are ye all gentlemen i said uh, discover ye by degrees and pay my respects accordin and he drew a chair to the table deed i wish ye would returned macgregor in a voice pretentiously hushed but none the less audible there's a drop in yon in of the hoose mr Lamney. Huts oh never mind the man said Lamney, looking round in the directions indicated. as warrant he cares as little about his as we care about him. There's no treason nowadays, I care not who hears what I say. For my part, said Mr. Petty, I cannot help wondering, given it could be or old friend, Mr. Falconer, spake o the devil, said Mr. Lamie, Hut now returned Petty, interrupting he was not altogether the devil. Hold your tongue of ye, retorted Lammy. Did not ye ken a proverb when ye hear it? The devil have ye. Ye're as sharpest as a missionary. I was only going on to say that I'm dootin' Andrew's dead. Ay, ay, commenced the chorus of questioning. "Mm, ay, what guards ye think that? And so he's dead. He was a great favourite, Andrew. War died he. Ay, some upset and though. Ay, he was ay to be somebody with his tail. "'a good-hearted crater, but ye could not lip till him. "'Speak no ill of the dead. "'Maybe they'll hear ye, and turn ruined in their coffins, "'and that'll wommel ye in your beds,' said MacGregor, with a twinkle in his eye. "'Ring the bell for another tumbler, Sampson. said the chairman. "'What'll be done with the factory place, noo? "'It'll be in the market. "'It's been in the market for many a year, but it's no his of all. "'It belongs to the old lady his mother,' said the weaver." Why don't you buy it, Mr. MacGregor, and set up a cotton mill? There's not much doing with the linen now, said Mr. Cocker. Me? returned MacGregor with indignation. The Lord forgive ye for hintin' at such a thing, Mr. Cocker. Me take the cotton. I would as soon spin the hair from Sotin's herdies. Short fashionless dirt that cannot grow straight out of the hustle yard, like the bonny lint bells but mount stick itself upon a bus. Set it up coarse, vulgar stuff, and nobody would wear but low-counter lads that would fain look like gentlemen by means of the collars and ruffles, and a-coming from the old loom, they may well afford seventeen hundred linen to set it off with, as have nothing but cotton inside the brooks of them. But Dr. Wagstaff says it's healthier, interposed Petty. A Wagstaff till him. Devil a bit of it's healthier, and that he kens. It's no so healthy, and such makes him more mark with his pollers, and his draughts, and other stuff. Healthier, what's neast? Somebody tell it me, said the bookseller inwardly, conscious of offence, at who Lord Sandy himself wears cotton. Ow, deed may be, and he sets many a worthy example for by. How many can tell me, Mr. Petty, has he pulled doon from honest, if no from high estate, and sent oot to seek their living as he taught them? How many?' hoot hoot mr MacGregor? his lordship hasn't a cotton shirt in his possession i'll be bound said mr cocker and besides you have not to wash his dirty linen or cotton either that's as muckle as to say according to cocker that i'm no to speak a word against him but i'll say what i like he's no my master said MacGregor, who could drink very little without suffering in his temper and manners and who besides had a certain shrewd suspicion as to the person we still sat in the dark end of the room, possibly because the entrance of Mr. Lammy had interrupted the exorcism. The chairman interposed with soothing words, and the whole company, Cocker included, did its best to pacify the manufacturer, for they all knew what would be the penalty if they failed. A good deal of talk followed, and a great deal of whisky was drunk. They were waited upon by Meg, who, without their being aware of it, cast a keen parting glance at them every time she left the room. At length the conversation had turned again to Andrew Falconer's death. Where said ye he died, Mr. Lammy? I never said he was dead. I said I was feared that he was dead. And what guards ye say that? It might of consequence to have it correct, said the solicitor. I had a letter from my old friend and his, Dr. Anderson. Ye mind upon him, Mr. Innes, do ye? He's head of the medical board at Calcutta, New. He says nothing but that he's she has gone. He goed up to the country, and he has not heard of him so long. We have keeped up a correspondence for many a year now, Doctor Anderson and me. He was a relation of Andrew's, he can, a second cousin or something. He'll be home or long, I'm thinking, with a fine pension. Wouldn't I wear a cotton sark? I'll be booned," said MacGregor. What's the old laddie gone to do with that long-legged grandson of hers? "'Andrew's son,' asked Samson. "Ow, oh, he'll be going to the college, I'm thinking. "'He's a fine lad and a clever, they tell me,' said Mr. Thompson. "'Indeed, he's all that and more, too,' said the schoolmaster. "'There's nothing all do but the college news," said MacGregor, "'whom nobody heeded for fear of again arousing his anger. "'Who'll she manage, that honest woman? "'She mount have but little to spare from the cleading of him.' "'She's a good manager, Mistress Faulkner.' And ye see, she has the bleach green yet. She does not wear cotton sark. growled MacGregor, money the wab of mine. She bleached and bought too. Nobody's heeding him yet." He began to feel insulted and broke in upon the conversation with intent. "Ye have not tell us yet, cocker,' he said. "What the master of yours is doing here at the time of year? I would ken that, given ye please." How should I know, Mister MacGregor? Returned the factor, taking no notice of the offensive manner in which the question was put. He's no hair better nor on of the Algerine pirates at Lord Exmooth's hat of the hips of, and that's my opinion. He's nay among your feet, Mister MacGregor," said the barker. "You might just let him lie. Given I had him doin' faith, given I would not let him lie. I'll just tell ye a thing, gentlemen that came to my knowledge no a hundred year ago, and it's as true as gospel, though I have I held my tongue about it all this very night. I ye'll hearken new, but it's no lochkin, though there was scalduddery enough, nae doot it afore it came that length. And many a het drop did the poor lassie greet, I can tell ye, faith, there was no lachon to her. She was a servant of oars, and a tight bonny lass she was, they called her the Waver's Bonnie Mary. That's the name she go by. Well, you see. MacGregor was interrupted by a sound from the further end of the room. The stranger, whom most of them had by this time forgotten, had risen and was approaching the table where they sat. Good goddess, interrupted several under their breath as all rose. It's Lord Sandy himself. I thank you, gentlemen, he said with a mixture of irony and contempt for the interest you take in my private history. I should have thought it had been as little to the taste as it is to the honour of some of you to listen to such a forego of lies. Lies, my lord, said MacGregor, starting to his feet. Mr. Cocker looked dismayed and Mr. Lammy sheepish, all of them dazed and dumbfounded, except the old weaver, who, as his lordship turned to leave the room, added, Long ears should be made of leather, my lord, for fear they grow with... Het with what they hear. Lord Rothy turned in a rage. He too had been drinking. Kick that toad into the street, or by heaven, it's the last drop any of you drink in this house, he cried. The toad may tell the frog what the rat did if the toads hole, my lord, said MacGregor, whom independence, honesty, bile, and drink combined to render fearless. Lord Sandy left the room without another word. His factor took his hat and followed him. The rest dropped into their seats in silence. Mr. Lammy was the first to speak. There's a plisky, he said. I could just say the word, after all, Simeon, said MacGregor. Never thought to be so forward. Ah, but I have longed and know I have spoken. With which words he sat down, contented. When Mr. Cocker overtook his master, as MacGregor had not unfitly styled him, he only got a damning for his pains, and went home considerably crestfallen. Lord Rothy returned to the landlady in her parlour. "'What's the matter with ye, my lord? What's vexed ye?' asked Miss Napier with a twinkle in her eye. For she thought, from the baron's mortification, he must have received some rebuff. And now that the bonny laddie was safe and Captain Forsyth enjoyed the idea of it. You keep an ill-tongued hoose, Miss Napier, answered his lordship. Miss Napier guessed at the truth at once, that he had overheard some free remarks on his well-known license of behaviour. Well, my lord, I do my best. A body cannot keep an inn and spare the catechism at the door of it. But I believe you're in the right, my lord, for I heard an awful off-gone of swearing in the yard just afore your lordship came in. "'And, noo' I think of it, it was not that unlike your lordship's own word.' "'Lord Sandy broke into a loud laugh. "'He could enjoy a joke against himself when it came from a woman, "'and was founded on such a trifle as a personal vice. "'I think I'll go to bed,' he said, when his laugh was over. "'I believe it's the only safe place from your tongue, Miss Napier.' "'Letty,' cried Miss Napier, "'fess a candle and show his lordship to the red room.' Till Miss Letty appeared, the Baron sat and stretched himself. He then rose and followed her into the archway and up an outside stair to a door which opened immediately upon a handsome old-fashioned room, where a blazing fire lighted up the red hangings. Miss Letty set down the candle and, bidding his lordship good-night, turned and left the room, shutting the door and locking it behind her a proceeding of which his lordship took no notice for however especially suitable it might be in his case it was only from whatever ancient source derived the custom of the house in regard to this particular room and corresponding chamber on the opposite side of the archway meantime the consternation amongst the members of the club was not so great as not to be talked over or to prevent the call for whisky and hot water all but MacGregor, however, regretted what had occurred. He was so elevated with his victory and a sense of courage and prowess that he became more and more facetious and overbearing. It's all very well for you, Mr. MacGregor said the dominie with dignity. You have nothing to lose, troth, he cannot break the bank, ah, eh, Mr. Tamson, he may give me a hint to make you withdraw your money, though Mr. MacGregor Te care you, and I do returned the weaver. I can make better of it any day. But there's your hoose in Kaleyard, suggested Petty. They're my own. All's my own. He cannot lay a finger on anything of mine but my servant, lass, cried the weaver, slapping his thigh bone, for there was little else to slap. Meg at the moment was taking her exit glance. She went straight to Miss Napier. Willie MacGregor's had enough, ma'am, and a drappy o'er. Send Kamuldoon to Mrs. MacGregor to say with my compliments that she would do well to send for him, was the response. Meantime he grew more than troublesome. Ever on the outlook, when sober after the foibles of others, he laid himself open to endless ridicule when in drink, which, to tell the truth, was a rare occurrence. He was in the midst of a prophetic denunciation of the vices of the nobility, and especially of Lord Rothie. when Meg, entering the room, went quietly behind his chair and whispered, "'Master MacGregor, there's a lassie come for ye.' "'I'm now in,' he answered magnificently. "'But it's the mistress that's sent for ye. "'Somebody's wantin' ye. "'Somebody maun want me, then. "'I was saying, Mr. Chairman and Gentleman.' "'Mr. MacGregor'll be after ye herself, "'given ye do not go on,' said Meg. "'Let her come. "'Do ye think I'm flighted her? "'Devil'll stop I'm gone till I please. "'Tell her that, Meg.' Meg left the room with a broad grin on her good-humoured face. "'What's that fool laughin' at?' exclaimed MacGregor, starting to his feet. The whole company rose likewise, using their endeavour to persuade him to go home. "D'ye ye think I'm drunk, sirs? I'll let ye ken I'm no drunk. I have a will of my own yet. Am I gone home with the lassie to hold me out of the gutters?' "'Givin' ye dar to allude that I'm drunk, ye ken who ye'll fare for devil a fit "'I'll go on out of this till I have another tumbler.' "'I'm thinkin' there's more of just want a one more,' said Petty. A confirmatory murmur arose as each looked into the bottom of his tumbler, and the bell was instantly rung. But it only brought Meg back with the message that it was time for them all to go. Every eye turned upon MacGregor reproachfully. Ye need not look at me that gate, sirs, I'm no fall, said he. Deed no, nobody takes ye to be, answered the chairman. Maggie, there's nobody had or muckle yet, and two or three of us has not had freely enough. Just go on and fess a muchkin mare, and there'll be a shilling of it to your lass. Meg retired, but straightway returned. Miss Napier says there's no a drop more drink to be had in this hoose the night. "'Here, Maggie,' said the chairman, "'there's your shillin, and you'll just go on to Miss Letty and give her my compliments, "'and say that Mr. Lammie's here, and we have not seen him for a long time, and—' "'The rest was spoken in a whisper. I'll swear to you, Maggie, the way her bodies shall not have any drop of it.' "'Meg withdrew once more, and returned. "'Miss Letty's compliments, sir. Miss Napier has the keys, and she's gone till her bed, and we maun not disturb her, "'and it's time that all honest folk was in their beds, too.' And given Mr. Lamy wants a bed in the house, he mount go on till it, and here's his candle. Good night to ye all, gentlemen. So saying, Meg set the lighted candle on the sideboard, and finally vanished. The good-tempered, who formed the greater part of the company, smiled to each other, and emptied the last drops of their toddy first into their glasses, and thence into their mouths. The ill-tempered, numbering but one more than MacGregor, growled and swore a little, the latter declaring that he would not go home. But the rest walked out and left him, and at last, appalled by the silence, he rose with his wig awry and trotted, he always trotted when he was tipsy, home to his wife. End Book One Chapter Five